As we continue to prepare for Christmas, you know, I have no doubt that there are many who are still scrambling with shopping. Uh, one reason for this, <clears throat> well, it's typically because, you know, there, there are those we know who are just difficult to shop for. It's possible that you started early this year and, and yet still you haven't found that perfect gift for the person that you'd like to bless. And I have no doubt that we all know someone who just simply won't tell us what they want for Christmas. And, and to be honest, you know, I'm kind of one of those people and it's just like, I just don't know. I, I, I have no idea. Uh, so don't get, don't get mad at us when, when we can't simply say, um, you know, what we want for, for Christmas. Now, in contrast to this, kids have no problem telling us what they want for Christmas, Right. Kids are quick to tell us what they want for Christmas, and, and they typically have their wish list, and, and it's on the wish list that we typically find popular presents that every child on the planet wants this year. And listen, this is really no different from when we were kids. Uh, you know, in order to jog your own memory, I just want to take a few moments to consider the most popular Christmas gifts of the past, and it was actually a century ago, which some of you guys might be able to think back to. But that's when the most popular Christmas gifts included Raggedy Ann dolls, Lincoln Logs, and Tinker Toys. Then in the 30s, uh, you know, kids wanted Sock Monkeys, uh, Shirley Temple doll, and then the, the Buck Rogers Disintegrator Pistol. That would have been awesome. In the 40s, kids wanted toy pianos, Tonka trucks, Little Green Army Men, Slinkies, and then the infamous Red Ryder BB gun. In the 50s, it was Silly Putty, Play-Doh, Barbie dolls, and model cars. In the 60s, it was the Easy Bake Oven. And I remember when, when my own sister got one of those, and, and, and what she pulled out of that little plastic oven was just horrible. But then there was the Etch-A-Sketch. There was the, 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 the larger G.I. Joe action figures. There, uh, there, there were Hot Wheels and Legos that year. Or, or during that century, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> during that decade, I should say. <clears throat> and, and then in the 70s, you know, uh, there were Nerf balls that had just come out. Everybody wanted skateboards. I remember my first skateboard back in the 70s. There were Star Wars action figures and then the Atari game console. I, I will never forget that Christmas when we opened up that Atari box and just had a blast playing Pong. In the 80s, there were Cabbage Patch Kids and Care Bears, Transformers, and then Nintendo's console came out that decade, as well as uh, in the later in, in that decade, the Game Boy. Uh, and then in the 90s, it was all about Beanie Babies. And I remember watching, you know, women driving all over Earth and creation, looking for these roadside Beanie Baby salesmen, because they thought that they were just going to cash in on these Beanie Babies, and yeah. So that never happened. But uh, there were also Power Rangers that year. And, and who can forget that demonic little toy called Furby? I'm pretty sure they all came demon-possessed. But the best thing during that decade was the Super Nintendo. Uh, at the turn of the century, kids wanted Bratz dolls and, and the RoboSapien remote-controlled robot. There was PlayStation 2, Xbox 360, and then the Wii came out in that decade. And, and as the aughts gave way to the tens or the teens or whatever you want to call it, kids wanted the uh, techno-robotic puppy. And, and, you know, because it's a, it's a dog that, that, you know, you don't have to clean up after. 
They, they wanted Frozen dolls. They, they wanted the new iPad and, and Skylanders. And these were the toys that kids really wanted through that decade. And now here we are in the 20s again. And kids are now asking for kinetic sand and Nerf guns. Gabby's perfect dollhouse. There's the new Xbox Series S console and uh, many other toys that are making their way to the, to the top of the list uh, for, the, for our kids. And as we consider this ever-changing list of coveted Christmas gifts, it should be obvious to, uh, to us by now that you know, the, the, the trends of what kids want, well, they're usually based upon the current infatuations of whatever is popular and whatever is getting the most airtime on television. And, and yet at the same time, listen, there is one Christmas request that continues to remain at the top of the list, and you know what I'm referring to. I'm referring to that real Christmas pet. Yeah, every year uh, there's kids who are asking for a real pet. They think that this is the year, this is the time, they're going to take care of it, it's going to be the best thing ever, and, and parents just cringe. One out of three kids here in America will eventually ask for some sort of real pet at some point in time. And it's for this reason that the number of pet adoptions, it tends to increase during the month of December. And as we consider the way that many parents are preparing to bring an adopted pet in, into their family's Christmas celebration, I can't help but to think about the way in which the Christmas story is actually all about God's plan to adopt us into his heavenly family. That's what Christmas is about. God the Father sending his only begotten Son so that sinners like us might be adopted into his heavenly family. And to explain what I mean by this, I want to take some time to consider something that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. So with this as the, as the focus, if you would, let's open our Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. And as you're making your way to the fourth chapter of Galatians, I just want to take a moment to point out that the Christmas holiday is all about the birth of the baby Jesus. Jesus uh, is the uh, central focus of Christmas. And at the same time, though, it's also important to understand that Christmas is all about the purpose for why Jesus came. And, and listen, just to sum it up, God sent us his only begotten son so that sinners could become his adopted children. I want to consider how Paul puts it here in Galatians chapter 4. If you would look with me there beginning at verse 4, here Paul writes, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Now, uh, here in the, the, these verses, we find Paul, he's writing about that first Christmas day when the Virgin Mary gave birth to our Savior, Jesus. And when it comes to the biblical Christmas story, well, it's easy for us to focus our attention on those classic characters that are found, you know, in the traditional nativity scenes. And yet, Paul, here in Paul's account of that glorious morning when Jesus Christ was born, he didn't really focus our attention on the shepherds. We don't find anything here about the shepherds. We don't see here anything about the arrival of the wise men. He didn't mention the appearance of a preteen percussionist you know, who allegedly showed up to play a drum solo for the baby Jesus, you know, like, like babies love. 
Rather than focusing on these Christmas characters, you know, Paul took this opportunity to simply focus our attention on the point and the purpose of Jesus' birth. As a matter of fact, if you would notice with me again there in Galatians 4 verse 5, here again Paul tells us that God sent him, sent Jesus, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. I love that. God God the Father sent his only begotten son to purchase our freedom so that those who are slaves to the law and those who are under the condemnation of the law could then be forgiven and adopted as we become his own children. This is what Christmas is all about. God sending his only begotten son on that first Christmas day so that we could become a part of his heavenly family through spiritual adoption. Now, as we continue to consider what Paul was writing here, I I think we would uh, do well here to drill down a little bit deeper into this verse. And the reason why is because there are many people in the world today uh, who believe in the universal fatherhood of God. Many people today have this idea that, well, we're all humans, therefore we're automatically children of God. But that's not what we find in the Bible. People believe that that we're all the children of God automatically by nature of our human birth, and yet Paul assures us here that Jesus came so that we might become adopted children of God. Now, why would we need to be adopted if we're already automatically part of God's family? What would be the point of adoption if we're already in the family of God? It would be like you having, you know, your own children, and then thinking, maybe we should adopt these kids. You would never think about that like a parent. A parent who already has their own children would never think, I should adopt my children. No, they're already your children. But here we're told that Jesus came so that we might be adopted as children of God. Therefore, it would be wrong for us to think that we're automatically the children of God simply because we're alive. To further make my case, it's important for us to understand that every person fails you know, to, uh, uh, to embrace uh, the, the, the uh, I, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that every person actually finds themselves in one of two categories. And there are those who fail to, even today, enter into this adoption. You see, there are, there are those who have become the adopted children of God. And there are those who are still the slaves of sin and therefore under the condemnation of the law. Those who have become the adopted children of God have been set free from the condemnation of the law. Those who have not embraced the adoption of God, well, they're still under the condemnation of the law. And this is precisely what Paul was saying here in this text. If you would look with me again there at Galatians 4 verse 5, here again Paul tells us that God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. From this we see that every person is either a slave to the law, or they're an adopted child of God. And since we're all the sons and daughters of Adam by birth, by natural birth we are the children of Adam, and what this means then is that we're born under the curse of Adam. By natural birth, 
we are born under the curse of Adam, and therefore we're all bound to be judged according to the righteous standard of God's law. And that's why Paul refers to uh, those still under the natural birth as being slaves to the law. If you're still part of Adam's family, then you're going to be judged and condemned according to the law. Thankfully for us, Jesus came on that first Christmas day and he did this in order to purchase the possibility of our freedom through the shedding of his blood. Now through his death on the cross, every person has the opportunity to become an adopted child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And much like the pets who have been freed from their kennel cage and and then spared from certain death, well, the Lord wants to adopt every unbeliever here this evening so that, so that we can escape the condemnation that we all deserve. So, so one question that we ought to be asking ourselves this, this evening is this, you know, have I actually been adopted into the forever family of God or am I still stuck in the kennel of spiritual bondage? Well, with this question in mind, we should take a moment to consider uh, you know, this question. How, you know, the, the real question that we ought to ask is, how is a person adopted then? How, how are we adopted into the forever family of our Heavenly Father? And with this question in mind, I want to spend some time considering something that John wrote in the first chapter of his gospel account. It's actually John chapter 1, verse 10. There, there John informs us that Jesus came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Now here in these verses, we find John. He's actually presenting us with basic instructions for being adopted into the forever family of our Heavenly Father. Notice again in verse 12, there John tells us that those who believe in him and accept him have also been given the right to become children of God. Now, it'll help us to know that this word believe comes from a Greek word which speaks of complete trust. It's not just this intellectual assent. In that sense, you know, James tells us that even the demons believe and they tremble. So we're not just talking about some level of intellectual assent. Majority of people on the planet believe in God. The majority of the people on the planet believe in some sort of divine being who set everything in motion. So we're not just talking about some sort of intellectual assent that there must be a a creator God out there. This word believe comes from the Greek word that speaks of complete trust. And not only that, but the same Greek word also refers to those who have complete confidence, which then turns into conviction. So it's a belief by which we have complete confidence in what we believe in, which then becomes a conviction. With this definition in mind, you know, John here is helping us to understand that the belief that brings us into the family of God is a confident conviction that Christ Jesus is able to save us from the condemnation that we deserve. And while it's true that we've been called to believe in Jesus with this sort of confident conviction in Christ, well, John also informs us here that we must also accept him in order to enter into this awesome adoption. 
Notice again there in verse 12. Here again, John writes, to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. There's a belief that becomes a confident conviction that then turns into an acceptance. That word accept was translated from a Greek word which was used in reference to to those who would receive what is offered by another person. Think think about, you know, Christmas coming up here uh, just in, in, you know, what, what are we? Two weeks away now or something? I don't know. Two weeks away from Christmas. But we all recognize Christmas morning there's going to be gifts exchanged. And if you don't receive the gifts that are handed to you, then you're not really enjoying those gifts. If you don't really receive them, then they're they're still not yours. They're, They're meant for you, but you have to accept them. You have to receive them. And that's what we're talking about here is, is Jesus Christ is offering himself. He's offering his grace to us. And so we must believe, having a confident conviction in what he's done, and receive the benefits of what he accomplished for us there on the cross. Those who trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ and then receive the free gift of forgiveness... Well, that's who becomes the adopted children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And this is precisely the purpose for why Jesus came on that first Christmas day more than 2,000 years ago. And and listen, not only do those who believe in Jesus and receive the grace of his forgiveness become the children of God, but this adoption is also a gift that that results uh, in grace upon grace. There's, there's a grace upon grace that we continue to enjoy today and forevermore. With this in mind, if you would look with me here again at Galatians chapter 4, uh, I want to back up and begin reading at verse 4. Here again, Paul writes, When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Here in these verses, Paul is helping us to understand that those who place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ have become the adopted children of God. And as the adopted children of God, we become heirs of an everlasting inheritance. Or in other words, we become the recipients of this inheritance which we enjoy for the rest of eternity. I I love the way that Paul described it in a letter that he sent to the church in Rome. And so with this as the focus, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. As you're making your way to the 8th chapter of Romans, I just want to take a moment to consider an an inheritance situation that I uh, recently read about in the news. It was actually in October when a mom of three ended up sparking outrage on social media. And and the reason why is because her followers discovered that she was trying to convince her husband to give less of an inheritance to two of their three kids. The reason why? is because the two were adopted. 
So, so she, she's basically encouraging her husband to give less to two of the three kids. Why? Well, because, you know, they were just adopted kids. Her husband had received an inheritance from his late mother. And, and while it was his desire to provide the largest, you know, or actually it was, it was actually her desire uh, to provide the largest share of this inheritance to their biological son. And, and yet the father had decided to evenly divide the inheritance between his biological son and the two adopted children. And so when she was talking about this online, you know, everybody kind of came down on her and, you know, for, for obvious reasons. But listen, you know, as the father here is attempting to just divide the inheritance evenly, he's recognizing that his adopted children are just as much his children as his biological child. And in that sense, he's ready to give evenly to all of his kids, regardless of whether they're biological or adopted. In similar fashion, listen, God the Father has decided to, to provide his adopted children with an everlasting inheritance as we become co-heirs of his only begotten son. Let's consider how Paul puts it here in Romans chapter 8. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 14. Here Paul declares, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And here in these verses, Paul tells us that those who have received the spirit of adoption by faith in Jesus Christ, we've also become co-heirs with Christ. The term co-heir or joint heir, it's translated from a Greek word which was used of those who they would receive the allotted possession of their inheritance by right of sonship. And, and while it's true that, that we are the adopted children of God, it's also true that we become co-heirs with the only begotten Son of God. We are joint heirs, co-heirs, fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, though we're simply adopted by faith in Jesus. Those who place their faith in Jesus Christ can have great confidence in knowing that God the Father has accepted us into his heavenly family. And he's not going to treat us like a redheaded stepchild. He's not going to treat us like a second-class son or daughter. He's not going to be like the mom who's like, well, you know, give more to our biological son. Nope, we are his children by faith in Jesus Christ. Not only that, but we can also rest assured that he's reserving our inheritance there in the kingdom of God. And in this way, he keeps it and maintains it so that's incorruptible and undefiled and will never fade away. This is how Peter describes this inheritance in 1 Peter chapter 1. It's here where the apostle declares, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible 
and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. I love this. The Apostle Peter is helping us to understand that the everlasting inheritance that we receive by faith in Jesus Christ, it's incorruptible. It will never be corrupted by this world. It's undefiled. And it will never fade away. The reason why is because this is an inheritance which is reserved for us there in heaven where there's nothing corrupt. There's nothing defiled. And, and listen, you know, uh, you can save up all the money you want here in this world and, and yet it can be stolen. It, it can be devalued. You know, as the economies of this world continue to collapse, you know, your treasure is, is really only as safe uh, as, as the economies. Therefore, we can rejoice in knowing that you know, earthly economies can't devalue our heavenly inheritance. And, and you can say, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll just you know, reserve it all in gold and silver. And yeah, the government can come along and say, yeah, you've got to turn in all your gold and silver. And there it goes. They've done it before. That's why we shouldn't be storing up our treasure here in heaven. And I'm not saying don't have a, a savings account. I'm just saying your treasure shouldn't be there. Don't let your treasure be in that bank. Don't let your treasure be in that 401k. Don't, don't have your hope in those things because all of that can be devalued. We should make sure our treasure is in heaven where no one can steal it and it'll never be devalued, not even by, I don't know, the worst president in the world. But uh, listen, we, you know, we need to make sure that our inheritance is in heaven. Therefore, we must make sure that God is our Father. And the beauty of knowing that God is our Father, well, again, we receive that spirit of adoption who then seals us for the inheritance. As a matter of fact, it's in Ephesians chapter 1. There Paul assures us of this fact by declaring this. He says, in him, speaking of Jesus, in Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Incredible. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who, verse 14, is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. I love this verse so much because it helps us to see that, you know, our salvation is kept by God. You know, there are those who would say that, well, you're saved by faith, but you got to maintain it by, by your works. And what a nightmare because, listen, every day I make mistakes. Every day I stumble. And I'm guessing if you're honest, you'll, you'll say the same about yourself. If, if maintaining my salvation is dependent upon me and my works, I lost my salvation years ago. Because I, I'm not perfect. I know you probably thought I was. It's understandable. But, but I'm not. I mean, we all make mistakes every day. It 
It's not our job to guard our heavenly inheritance. No, this is a gift of grace. We're saved by grace and we're sanctified by grace. It's the Holy Spirit's uh, job. It's his responsibility to become the guarantee of our inheritance. And that's, that's what Paul says. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. Now, if, the, if, if a car salesman guarantees you something, uh, you know, it's only as, as good as, as the honesty of the car salesman, right? If the Holy Spirit guarantees something, is that something that you can, can count on? And I would argue, yes. If the Holy Spirit guarantees this inheritance, the Holy Spirit can't lie. The Holy Spirit can't fail. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And when you back up and you see that the Holy Spirit has sealed us with this promise, guaranteeing our inheritance... It's locked in. According to Paul, the Holy Spirit guarantees our inheritance until the day when we're finally redeemed from this world and stand before Jesus Christ, who will then distribute to us the inheritance that he has for us. Our inheritance is guaranteed by the unbreakable seal of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we can be certain that no one can take this from us. Not one created thing can rob us of the promise that has been guaranteed to us by the Holy Spirit. That's great news. It's wonderful news because, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for us to lose those gifts that we've received here in this world. I remember when I was a kid, I wanted this little robot it was just like this little toy robot and, you know, it blew smoke rings, you know, like, like robots do, I guess. And I just, I, I saw it at the store and I just, oh, I wanted it so bad. And there it was, and, you know, I, I, Christmas morning, I opened up the present and there's that robot and I'm just like, this is incredible. I broke open the box and pulled the robot out and... It took four D-sized batteries. Now, some of you guys don't know what a D-sized battery is. It's kind of like a Tesla battery, but a little smaller. But uh, no batteries. No batteries. And then my dad, you know, being the gracious man that he was, was like, well, I'm not buying batteries for this toy, you know. And so it was just like he took it back to the store. Told me to get something that didn't take batteries. Like, well, all robots take batteries. It was so, it was like the worst, the worst Christmas ever. Only slightly a little bit worse than the day when I threw Kung Fu Joe up in the air and it got caught in the palm tree, you know, and still there, still there to this day. But yeah, we have gifts. They, we lose them, they break, you know, they, they deteriorate. They, But this is, this is a gift of grace that will never deteriorate. It, it will never degrade. It will never be devalued. And it's always there for us. 
At the same time, it's important for us to remember that the, the only people who will receive this inheritance are those who believe in Jesus with confident conviction and then receive by faith his free gift of grace by which we become the adopted children of God and therefore co-heirs with Christ Jesus. In order to drive this point home, I want to consider something that Paul wrote. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. It's verse 5 where Paul declares, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Wow. Simply put, those who refuse to repent of their sins, those who refuse to repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ will miss out on this inheritance. With that being the case, you know, it's, it, it's crucial for us to, to realize that there is no such thing as the universal fatherhood of God. Those who think that they're automatically going to heaven because, you know, they were born into the family of God, it's just not, that's not what the Bible teaches. There's no such thing as the universal fatherhood of God, but God the Father has made it possible for us to all become the adopted children by faith in Jesus Christ. And, and with that being the case, we would all do well to make sure that we've truly embraced this awesome adoption. Listen, just because your parents were Christians doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you go to church and serve doesn't make you a Christian. Just, just because you're willing to show up most most Sundays out of the month and, and put up with my bad jokes doesn't make you a Christian. We're only believers by faith in Jesus Christ. And by faith in Jesus Christ, we become the adopted children of God. It's the only way to enter into this awesome adoption. That being the case, I want to wrap up this seasonal message by once again asking, have you entered into the, uh, the awesome adoption of God the Father by faith in Jesus Christ? Or do you still just have like an intellectual belief which is similar to the intellectual belief of the demons. Are you truly a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ? Or are you still stuck in the kennel of spiritual bondage, wondering when someone's going to adopt you? And if it's true that you find yourself even tonight sitting in the cage of your own carnality, and you're waiting for the Lord to adopt you into his forever family, then I'll remind you, God the Father is the one waiting for you. God the Father is the one who is waiting for you. He sent his only begotten son to come and receive the punishment that we deserve so that we can receive the gracious gift of forgiveness that we don't deserve. And with that, if you've never before, I encourage you tonight to receive the awesome adoption by faith in the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And as you do, you can rejoice in knowing that there's an eternal inheritance that's waiting for you there in the kingdom of Christ Jesus. Let's pray.